0: It's been 3,267 days since Russia occupied Crimea on February 27, 2014, and 348 days since the large-scale invasion of Ukraine began. Today's podcast looks at what happened yesterday in the Russia-Ukraine war. The Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Report is compiled by our team from around the world. Today's report includes information from direct contacts in Ukraine and their proxies, Let's start with our assessment of the current status of the war. First, we no longer assess that Ukrainian forces will launch a significant military operation due to new information about the purpose of President Volodymyr Zelensky's closed-door meeting of the Supreme Commander-in-Chief with a subset of military intelligence and security leaders on February 2nd. Second, Ukrainian Deputy Minister of Defense Hanna Malyar confirmed our assessment that Russia's so-called large-scale offensive has begun and is not the shock and oblitzkrieg that many expected. We assess there remains a significant chance the Russian Federation will launch new offensives in one or more operational direction before February 24th. Third, we maintain that the power struggle between military leaders aligned with Russian Minister of Defense Sergei Shoigu versus those aligned with private military company or PMC Wagner Group head Yevgeny Prigozhin, has escalated due to statements by state Duma deputies. We maintain that the political distraction benefits Russian President Vladimir Putin the most. Fourth, we maintain that the battle for control of Bakhmut has reached a critical phase with the addition of Russian forces to the Axis and the ongoing attempt to create a technical encirclement. Fifth, we maintain that the significant increase in disinformation and misinformation from Russian sources is being directed by Chief of the General Staff of the Russian Federation Armed Forces, Valery Gerasimov, as part of his hybrid warfare doctrine. Sixth, the RAND Corporation agreed with our assessment that Ukraine holds the battlefield initiative, while we maintain the exception for the Solidar Bakhmut axis. Seventh, We maintain that the Russian military within Ukraine remains combat ineffective and is relying on World War II tactics that Field Marshal Georgi Zhukov would recognize to move the line of conflict. Eighth, we assess that Russia is setting conditions for a new punitive missile strike on civilians and civilian infrastructure within the next 7 to 10 days. Ninth, we maintain that Russian forces will continue to target electrical, heating, and potable water infrastructure. Tenth, we maintain that the Russian Federation's inventory of caliber cruise missiles is critically low based on the continued decline of launches from the Black Sea Fleet. Eleventh, we maintain that there is a risk of a nuclear accident caused by the de-energization of Ukrainian nuclear power plants as a result of Russian electrical infrastructure destruction. Twelfth, we maintain that stealth mobilization has started in the Russian Federation— due to stop-loss orders for active-duty troops deployed in Ukraine and mobilization requests from the Kremlin in occupied territories. And finally, we maintain that the threat of Russian forces in Belarus crossing into Ukraine as part of an offensive operation is negligible, despite contrary claims from Ukrainian and Polish officials. Let's get some regional updates, and since it's a Monday, check in with both belligerents' objectives, starting with the Donbass region in Luhansk. The Russian objective is to integrate the oblast into the Russian Federation, recapture lost territory, and control insurgency. The Ukrainian objective is to break Russian defensive lines, advance on Svatova, Kremina, and Lusychansk, and support insurgents. We maintain that Russian forces have started their so-called large-scale offensive in Luhansk. In a TV interview, Luhansk Oblast administrative and military governor Serhii Haidai said that fighting and shelling were escalating, and Russian troops and military equipment were constantly moving up the line of conflict. He also reported that Kadyrovites are fighting in the region, but didn't clarify which operational areas. In the Svatava operational direction, the General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine, or GSAFU, and the Russian Ministry of Defense, or MOD, and the Russian Ministry of Defense, or MOD, reported that Novoselivsky was shelled throughout the day. Mercenaries with Wargonzo reported that Russian forces were trying to advance in the direction of Makiivka. In Nevsky, Ukrainian officials were able to convince another town resident to evacuate, with 140 remaining. Many of the residents staying behind have livestock they don't want to abandon, and government officials are trying to come up with an equitable solution. In the Kremina operational area, there was heavy fighting west, southwest, and south of the city. Activity near Ploshanka and Popivka remains limited to artillery. The GSAFU reported that Ukrainian forces were able to stabilize the defensive lines around Kremina, which had moved west on January twenty seventh. Both combatants reported that Kremina and the surrounding areas were shelled. To the south and southwest, Russian sources reported fighting in Dibrova and the Serebryansky Woods area, because the line of conflict is constantly changing in this part of the operational area. In the severodonetsk luhansk operational area, the GSAFU reported that Ukrainian forces repelled an attack north of Bilohorivka, the one in Luhansk, in the Shiplivka area. Luhansk Oblast Governor Haidai repeated that Bilohorivka is still under Ukrainian control, adding that Russian troops never entered the settlement. In northeast Donetsk, the Russian objective is to capture the entire region and integrate the Oblast into the Russian Federation. The Ukrainian objective is to defend Siversk and Bakhmut, push into the Luhansk Oblast, and minimize civilian casualties. In the Lehman operational direction, we have confirmation on the location of the Russian 144th secret strike on a, quote, Ukrainian strategic location. A drone video showed the site being hit by direct tank fire six kilometers east of Yampolivka at a tree line. We moved the line of conflict approximately 500 meters west of its previous location. We have visually confirmed from two sources, Russian and Ukrainian, that the 144th is not two to five kilometers from Yampolivka. Imagine that. In the Seversk operational area, Russian forces continued attempts to advance on verkhno and Spirna without success. A geolocated video showed that Russian forces tried to advance to a natural gas pumping station east of Spirna and 400 meters west of the established line of conflict. They came under heavy artillery fire and were forced to retreat. In the Solidar operational area, the Ukrainian 93rd Mechanized Brigade was deployed south of Siversk to defend against Russian advances from the Krasnopolivka-Sakvivencety-Mikulayvka area. With the arrival of the 93rd, Russian forces said, Ooh, just kidding, and instead used artillery as they pulled reinforcements into Mikulayvka. The 93rd is one of the most experienced and capable brigades in the Ukrainian military having been on the tip of the spear for offensive and defensive operations throughout Ukraine. Heavy fighting for control of Krasnohora continued, with Russian forces attempting to advance from Blahodatne and Pirhorodne. Ukrainian forces held defensive positions, with PMC Wagner sharing a video they claimed was recorded inside a factory in Krasnohora. It was impossible to geolocate or weather confirm the video. We'll have more to say about it in the War Crimes and Human Rights segment. Heavy fighting continued in the Bakhmut operational area, with Russian forces making marginal gains northeast and south of the city. Russian forces continued attempts to advance on Paraskovyevka with no change in the situation. Russian composite forces advanced another block into the residential area in northeast Bakhmut, north of Opitne, Russian forces have advanced into the city's southern edge, with a video showing PMC-Wagner forces being shelled and retreating. PMC-Wagner's leader, Yevgeny Prigozhin, denied reports that Ukrainian forces had retreated from parts of Bakhmut and that fighting for control of every street continued. In the Kostyantanivka operational direction, heavy fighting continued west of Klishivka and south of Ivanivska. The Ukrainian T 504 highway ground line of communication, called a GLOC, that's a supply line, from Kostyantanivka remains usable, but is increasingly dangerous. Reports that Ukraine has evacuated the press out of Bakhmut are untrue. In southwest Donetsk, the Russian objective is to capture the entire region, integrate the oblast into the Russian Federation, and bring the insurrection across southwestern Donetsk under control. The Ukrainian objective is to lock Russian military assets in place, defend the existing line of conflict while finding and exploiting weaknesses, destroy troop concentrations and command and control sites, interdict supplies, and disrupt logistics. In the Avdiivka operational area, it remained unusually quiet. Elements of the Russian First Army Corps, formerly of the Donetsk People's Republic or DNR, attempted to advance on Avdivka from their positions in Opitne, suffered significant losses, and returned to their defensive positions. Mercenaries with war gonzo reported positional fighting near Pirvomaiske. Insurgents in Mariupol continue to risk their lives to report on Russian troop movements in southwest Donetsk. In the port district, the buildup of Russian troops continued. Partisans reported that eight multiple launch rocket systems— Two S-300 anti-aircraft systems, six buses with troops, and six trucks carrying ammunition were billeted. Six commercial buses can carry up to 390 troops. That's equal to two fully-staffed companies or one understaffed battalion. Insurgents in Mariupol also reported that 14 trucks with ammunition left the city in the direction of Berdyansk, while 10 buses with Russian Mobics went to the Mangushrayon. Confirming these reports, sort of, inadvertently, in a stunning operational security or OPSEC failure, Russian state media photographer Dima Yagodkin had his pictures of the troop and ammunition movements published, and neither Yagodkin or the agency that published his photos scrubbed the EXIF data. Quick sidebar, that's the data that indicates the exact time and location where the photos were taken. Insurgents also reported that a firebase with MLRS had been created near the ruins of the Ilyich steel factory, and Russian troops are being billeted at a closed shopping mall in the port district. In the Kiev district of Donetsk, Ukrainian troops destroyed a Russian firebase equipped with a 122-millimeter self-propelled howitzer located 300 meters from a school and 150 meters from civilian homes. Oddly enough, there were no statements from Amnesty International about setting up offensive weapons in civilian areas. How strange. There were reports of a HIMARS strike on Russian troops housed in Volnovakha located on the Russian g between Mariupol and the Uchledar operational area. In Russian-occupied Horlivka, Ukrainian artillery struck a hostel used to house Russian troops. Honestly, the after photo looks very similar to hostels I have stayed in in the past. It's been a long time since the People's Militia of the DNR delivered a gem of a video to show how great it war they are. In a video posted on the official 1st Army Corps Telegram channel, a drone drops an IED on a parked and empty Ukrainian pickup truck and a glorious victory is declared. There is one problem. The IED misses the truck In what may be one of the worst video editing jobs, the video jump cuts to the explosion, hiding the fact that the IED missed. So, um, congratulations to the DNR for maybe putting a hole in the radiator and damaging the windshield. You, You have to watch it. And as with most of the photos and videos we reference, we do link to it in our full situation report on Patreon. There were more complaints about price gouging for groceries and water in Russian-occupied Donetsk, with one of the worst examples yet. The first Republican supermarket had marked down fresh ginger, with visible mold, to $1.74 a pound. While $1.74 a pound doesn't sound like a lot, I would remind you that the average annual salary in the region is $2,500 per year. It would be like if moldy ginger were marked down to $37.60 a pound in the U.S. That's not hyperbole. I actually did math. Self-declared leader of the so-called Donetsk People's Republic, or DNR, Denis Pushilin, announced that the Azovstal Metallurgical Plant site would be turned into an industrial park, but it would take 10 years to restore the area. Pushilin appears to have given up on turning the area into a waterfront resort which was announced in July 2022. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. Our team of journalists, researchers and analysts is funded by readers, listeners and viewers just like you. To support independent journalism, please consider becoming a patron. You can find us on patreon.com at malcontentnews. Moving on to Zaporizhia. The Russian objective is to prevent a Ukrainian offensive into Zaporizhia, integrate captured territory into the Russian Federation, and capture the remainder of the oblast. The Ukrainian objective is to liberate Russian-occupied areas, prevent further Russian advances, exploit weaknesses on the line of conflict, and protect civilians. The situation at the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant is still unchanged. And that's really all I have to say about Zaporizhia right now. In the Black Sea, Crimea, Mykolaiv and Odessa region, Operational Command South, or OCS, reported the Black Sea fleet had five warships on patrol, and none of them were missile carriers. In western and central Ukraine, the Russian objective is to launch terror attacks on civilians in an attempt to break morale and to maximize casualties by deprivation of heat, water, and medical services. The Ukrainian objective is to deter attacks and protect civilian lives. In Kherson, Russian and Ukrainian forces continued mutual shelling across the Dnipro River. Russian forces carried out 40 fire missions on the territories of free Ukraine. In Kherson City, a lyceum and the shipyards were heavily shelled, along with civilian areas. Quick sidebar, a lyceum is a specialty school that typically teaches the arts, music, sports, or language arts. North of Kherson, civilian areas of Chornobaivka were heavily shelled, damaging private homes and injuring one person. Civilian areas of Berislav were also shelled, causing significant damage. East of the Dnipro, the yacht club in Russian-occupied Nova Kachovka was shelled, destroying several private boats. Shelling in Kachovka appeared to set a fuel depot or natural gas pipeline on fire while Russian sources reported Olishki and Holopristan were shelled. In north and northeast Ukraine, the Russian objective is to lock Ukrainian military resources into place and launch terror attacks on civilians in an attempt to break morale and maximize casualties by deprivation of heat, water, and medical services. The Ukrainian objective is to complete the liberation of the Kharkiv Oblast, maintain the integrity of the international border, deter attacks, and protect civilian lives. In the Dvorichna operational area, activities and reports have increased. Fighting continued in Dvorichne with a geolocated video showing Russian troops in the western part of the settlement. The video indicated that our assessment of the areas of control was accurate and no map changes were made. The Russian MOD reported squad or platoon-sized DRG units fighting in the area of Limonpirshy and Friani Kivka. The Russian MOD also reported positional fighting in the forested areas east of Kodliarivka. On the Russian front, Russian officials reported that the border village of Krasno in the Bilgorod Federal District was shelled. Let's talk about developments theater-wide and outside Ukraine. I bet you can't guess who threatened nuclear war again. Yeah, it was it was Russia. Russian State Duma deputy Anatoly Vosserman suggested that Russia should carry out a nuclear strike not on Kiev or Ukraine, but on Yellowstone National Park in the United States. Vosserman, who has watched too many bad science fiction movies on the Asylum channel of Pluto TV, believes this will cause the Yellowstone Caldera supervolcano to erupt. Wasserman added, quote, Then there will simply be no northern shore of the future Stalin Strait. He's referring to the Bering Sea Strait. Another thing is that the explosion will damage parts of Western Europe. This is an example of when Vladimir Putin saying, You and I as martyrs will go to heaven, and they will simply die. End quote. If he watches any of the Discovery Channel, he knows that supervolcano is going to blow. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. The European Peace Fund delivered more military and civil service vehicles to Ukraine. The latest aid package included 13 heavy trucks for military transport, 94 unspecified trucks, and 50 ambulances. Vice President of the European Commission, Joseph Burrell, said, quote, the EU will continue to support Ukraine as long as it is necessary. End quote. Ukrainian Minister of Defense, Oleksiy Reznikov, announced that Ukrainian troop training in the operation and maintenance of the Leopard 2 tank would begin today. In our War Crimes and Human Rights segment, we discuss events that might be upsetting to hear about. There is no graphic detail in today's report, But if you're sensitive to descriptions of human rights abuses, please feel free to skip ahead to the next segment. Timestamps are in the description. PMC Wagner Channel shared a very graphic video claiming it was recorded at a factory in Krasnohora. The, again, very graphic video showed around 10 allegedly Ukrainian soldiers who appeared to have been shot in the head, indicating that prisoners of war may have been executed versus having died while fighting. None of the alleged Ukrainian soldiers wore green armbands on their uniforms, raising additional questions about authenticity. A working theory among the analyst team is this was potentially a staged video to cover up the execution of pmc Wagner Penal Unit deserters. The video is not suitable for work, it is not for children, the killed soldiers are not blurred, and many will find it disturbing. A Ukrainian border guard captured at Prostomel during the opening hours of the wide-scale invasion was finally released on Saturday as part of a prisoner of war exchange. Video cameras captured his wife and two daughters welcoming him home, and if you feel like crying for happy reasons today, we do link to the video in our full situation report on Patreon. In economic news, the ruble is starting the week down with an exchange rate of 71 for one U.S. dollar. Western oil prices are flat, with WTI crude expecting to open at $74 a barrel and Brent up slightly to $81. Russian Ural's crude dropped to an official price of $53 a barrel, with a new price cap limit of $45 a barrel now in effect. United States wholesale Arbob gasoline on the spot market continued to drop, falling to $2.33 a gallon or $0.62 a litre. Before we close for today, our thoughts are with the people of Turkey and Syria and our community of readers and listeners in the region during this incredible tragedy. And that's what we know. Join me again tomorrow for more updates. Until then, stay safe, everyone. You've been listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. To help keep us independent, please consider providing financial support by becoming a patron. Want on-demand news in your hand? Download the Google News app and make Malcontent News one of your favorites to receive breaking news updates. Thank you for listening.